0: Every child, to varying degrees, is treated poorly by a parent. I wish that I had another story to tell. But victimization, it is not okay, and it is never straightforward. It's always complicated. But it is a fact about the fallout of fallenness. If the child does not know how to process the hurt, or if the child does not know how to cast it on Christ, They will probably grow up bitter, as I did. But the good news is that even if you find yourself in the snare of bitter victimization, no matter how you got there, there is a way out. There is help, and there is hope, because Christ came to set captives free, which is what he did for me. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for the Life Over Coffee podcast. I'm very glad that you are here. If you are listening to the podcast, if you would write a review on the platform, maybe just stop the podcast now. If you're driving, pull over now and go out on that platform and write a review and give us a five-star rating That will help us to reach more people. And if you have benefited from this ministry, then I would love for you to do that. That is just one way that you can support us by sharing our resources with your friends and then also by writing reviews where you can write them so other people can see it. And then the algorithms will be kind to us and allow us to get the practical message of Christ out to many people. The title of this podcast is The Reason I Stopped Hating My Dad Was Life. Changing. This is an autobiographical podcast. I'm going to walk through what happened during my childhood, how I reacted to it, what God did in my heart, and how He set me free. And so that is the story arc. I trust that this will be a benefit to you. And if you want to read the article, please go to our website. Look for The Reason I Stopped Hating My Dad was Life Changing. You could probably just type the words hating my dad in the search box, and this article will pop up for you. There will be this podcast as well as a video, so you can read, you can watch, or you can listen. Let me get into this autobiographical story about my childhood my dad took his first drink of alcohol when he was 21 years old. He had his last drink 21 years later, and between his first and last, he never stopped drinking. I remember my mother telling me the first time that he bought alcohol, she was appealing to him that he would not do it, but he did, and some people can drink alcohol, and they can walk away from it, but Alcohol and my dad, well, they were in cahoots together and it soon after it captured him and he became an alcoholic addict. He became a a drunkard. Not only that, he was mean when he was drunk. He was an uncaring drunk. And when he drank, he got angry. And if dad was not sulking in a chair, he was yelling at one of his five boys. I do not recall hearing the word love in our home unless it was blaring from one of our classic rock albums. Television and rock songs were my tutors. To experience reciprocating love was something that normal families did, and I did watch a lot of television. Television was a portal that it ushered me into another world. We did not have the internet back in those days, but we had television, which allowed me to escape vicariously uh, through the screen. And then, of course, we did have the rock songs, which is another form of escapism as well. I was looking for a way out. Our family was not normal by any standard. I never called my dad, dad, or father while he was alive. I never said those words. In fact, it took many years before i could even even form the word father my jaw would not even form in such a way that i could say that word because it was not only so odd to me but the word father was it was repulsive and so those words dad and father were as absent as love It was at least 10 years after he died before I used the word dad while referencing him. I can do it now, and I'm not twitching. It doesn't bother me any longer. But even as I was forming this article, as I was typing out the words D-A-D, it did remind me of how odd it used to be. From my first birth, when I came into this world, to my second birth, which was 25 years later when I was born again, in that quarter of a century, life was one long, ongoing, uninterrupted, dysfunctional stream of pain and disappointment. My life's goal as a teenager was to get out of the home and away from my father. And each boy did that in order. My oldest brother went to prison when he was 17, 18 years old. My brother number two went to prison when he was 17, 18 years of age. Uh, Brother number three, he went to the military when he turned 17, 18. And then, of course, I accomplished my goal of leaving the home when I was 15 years old when I moved in with my grandmother. And though I never looked back, anger came with me. Anger was my constant companion. I do not blame my dad any longer for my turbulent teen years or the bad things that I chose to do during that season. Now, Back then, I did, but you won't hear that out of me today, and I hope that I will be able to explain that clearly, that God delivered me from my victimization. He delivered me from my anger. The truth is, I made all the choices. Though there is no denying, He was an instrumental and adverse-shaping influence in my life. There is no way that a child can get from 0 to 15 and end up in jail as I was by himself, and so it's it's a matter of primary and secondary cause. Primary cause, no, it was all my fault, but my dad, my mother, my siblings, and a few other people were secondary causal influences, and so I'm not going to jump in either ditch to say that I was a total victim with no responsibility, or I'm not going to jump in the other ditch and say that he was not a shaping influence, for he was. Mercifully, the Lord gave me another perspective, as only he could. And that perspective is quite simply stated as what my dad meant for evil God would eventually flip the narrative of my life and use this horror show of my childhood as a redemptive masterpiece. In many ways, this ministry stands foundationally on the suffering that came into my life those first few decades. James asked this question in James chapter 4 verses one, two, and three. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Why do you get angry? James is asking. It's a causal question. What is the cause? What is the source? And then he answers the question, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? There was a war inside of me. James goes on to say, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And I would even say that you can have good desires. And I had good desires. I wanted a happy home. I wanted a loving father. I wanted harmony and unity in our household. Those were good desires, but I did not get those. And unfortunately, I responded poorly as he says, you desire you do not have, so you murder. He says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And so James is explaining what causes quarrels and fights among us. Well, the year was 1978. That's when dad died in his sleep. He was 42 years old. The layman's diagnosis was that he drank himself to death, and that's close enough. Uh, That's accurate enough. It's probably true. He had kidney failure. He had liver problems, heart problems. He had a few other known and unknown complications. He was a a messed up person. You could look at his nightstand that was right beside his bed, and the entire top of it was full of uh, medication bottles the little plastic bottles I mean completely covered from corner to corner from side this side completely covered with medications he was taking that many medications because his body had deteriorated so much amazingly he was a healthy and athletic policeman before he started drinking He went through first to twelfth grade without ever missing a day of school. He was an athlete. He was an excellent baseball player. But at the end of his life, he was a barely employable third-shift production worker who went from job to job. I was 19 years old when he died. When I was 12 years old, I stopped attending church, as with the other four brothers. Our mother had long lost her ability to make us attend the local Baptist church. The church was never relevant to us anyhow. It was just another place to find good weed from some of the deacon's children. True story, I I thought deacons had good weed and the deacons at our church, First Baptist Church in Monroe, North Carolina, shout out to the First Baptist Church. Well, the boys back in the day, the Deacon's children, had excellent weed. I'm sure they are upstanding today, and that kind of nonsense doesn't happen any longer. But not knowing Christ or His purposes for the church, finding good weed in the Lord's house did not seem unusual. All five of us eventually unhooked from the religious scene Because there was better grass in greener pastures, where tie-dyes and flip-flops were the norms. We had church clothes back then. We had to dress up. And if I'm going to get good weed, I'm going to go smoke some good weed. I don't want to do it in church clothes. So bring on the tie-dyes and the flip-flops. The word cloud that hovered over my childhood had anger, fear, hate, rebellion, disappointment, discontentment in it. And there were a few other words or categories that you could fit inside that dark word cloud. There were a few highs, and there were even more lows. And shortly after leaving home, the police did arrest me for breaking and entering. It's incredible to think how a kid could be so messed up and angry in such a short period. Go back to what I was saying earlier, 15 years How can you be so messed up in 15 years? Well, it can happen, but it rarely happens all by yourself. And again, I am not blaming my father as primary cause, but he was an influence, no doubt. The focal point of my hate was my father. He was the epicenter. He was the most likely target for the pain. He was a mean man until he fell asleep that last time in 1978. I arrived at my parents' home just in time to see the EMS take him out, covered by a white sheet on a gurney. I was doing electrical work at the time and I was cutting a receptacle into a bar in a kitchen and I saw my employer coming down the hall and just the way his gait was and his countenance, I knew that something was wrong and he told me that my father had had passed away, and so I left work. I went home, and when I arrived, they were hauling him out on the gurney. It was not supposed to happen this way. He was only 42 years old. He was not supposed to die. I still had some hating to do. Up to that point, my life was one big joke wrapped in anger, and he had the last laugh by playing one final trick on me. He died. I remember his death and succeeding funeral like it was yesterday. It was at his funeral that motivated me to say something that I had never uttered before, something that had never occurred to me. I mumbled these words, I love you. As I stood over his casket in McEwen Funeral Home in Monroe, North Carolina, I walked up to his coffin, I looked over into his dead face, and then I said something else like, Oh, heck. Because I knew that I had made a mistake. You see, when you're mad at someone, you do not think about them dying. It was that moment when I snapped out of my angry stupor. That is when I realized that I had held on to my anger too long. The hurt in what he did had so captured me that it never occurred to me that he would die. I was not finished with my anger. I remember talking to a young man many years ago, and I was sharing this story with him. and and when I got to this point of the story, he is the one that said that. He said, "You had more hating to do. And I thought that really encapsulated what was going on in my heart. And that's why I titled uh, this article this way: The reason that I stopped hating my dad was life changing. I still had some hating to do. This thing was not over. Our hostile relationship was not complete. But it was over. Our relationship had finished its natural course. We were at the end of the road. My daddy hurt me. He abused me verbally and physically. Each day in our home was a replay of the previous day's infliction of pain and disappointment. He dealt out the punishment, and I counted the days until I could get away from him, get away from the rest of my family, and get away from the life that I had." In First Samuel 25, 21, it says this, Saul's talking, he says, I have sinned, I have acted foolishly, and I have made a great mistake. And that is the testimony of the first 25 years of my life. You see, hate controlled my heart. Though I rarely said anything to my father, my soul was ablaze with fear and anger, and then he died. Death is the great equalizer that puts all sin into perspective. Even though Dad's death was more profound than my anger, his death did not remove it or the accompanying bitterness. It's stunning how the instigator can long leave the scene, but the bitter effects linger like an unwelcome and oppressive companion. I lived in regret for many years for being so stubbornly proud, only complicating matters because I realized, as, as Saul said, I played the fool. Six years later, someone introduced me to another man. Who died too soon. When the Father opened my eyes to the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, everything changed. I became acutely aware of how we live in a fallen world full of fallen people, and I was one of them. I began to understand the universality and nature of sin. For the first time in my life, a better answer for my childhood dysfunction started to become clear. My father was a sinner who sinned, for all have sinned, as the Bible says. He chose an unrighteous path, and all those in his path experienced his darkness, and I was in his path. But he was not the only unrighteous person in our family. I, too, chose the wrong path. The sin that Adam gave to him came to me. I was just like my father. There is none righteous, no, not one. I had no right standing before God. I was similar to my father to where the stratification of sin that I envisioned that kept me perched in the air of superiority, it collapsed to where I could only see a level playing field with a cross in the middle of it. The death of Christ began to take my perspective off what he, my father, did to me, and it placed it on what I had done to God. Maybe somebody has hurt you. More than likely, they have. Perhaps you can make as strong a case against that person who hurt you as I could make against my mean father. According to my godless calculating, my dad was a worse sinner than me. But at some level of my awareness, I knew that I was a sinner too. But it was easy to compare tit for tat, and when I did that, I could hold on to my anger while playing the victim card. It's a victim mindset that fuels ongoing, unabated anger. The truth is, I am no different from my Father. There are no gradations of sinners when you stare at the Savior on a cross. My dad was a sinner. I am a sinner. My dad sinned me too. My dad needed Christ. Same here. Typically when there is a relational brokenness between a child and a parent, the child is the one articulating how his sinful parent had hurt him. It's a necessary discussion. I'm not minimizing that. I am not. But it's not the only discussion that must happen. In in almost every case, the child's thinking will be more about what someone did to him than what he has done to his Lord. You will hardly hear that. I've made that mistake. I spent more time thinking about what my dad did wrong to me than what I did to God. It was unwitting, self-induced poisoning of my soul. As I began to come to terms with the gospel, I began to see with new eyes as it applied to my choices, and then the angry fog began to lift. I was a self-righteous victim a deadly duo. A self-righteous victim is more aware of and irritated by someone else's sins than being more conscious of and grieved by their sin against a holy God. As the gospel began to come into view, I realized that my dad was not the biggest sinner that I knew. Like Paul, the chief of sinners, the foremost sinner, my opinion of myself began to plummet. The incremental lowering of my self-esteem freed me from the anger that poured out of my entitled heart. After I took the position with Paul, with my dad, with Adolf Hitler, and with all the other evil people in the world, I began to experience freedom, a gospel-centered freedom. In Mark two seventeen, it says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Nothing has ever happened to you or me that is eviler than our sin against God. The Gospel levels the playing field. It eventually released me from the anger and the hurt of my past. But more than that, the Gospel gave me understanding. For the first time, I began to get my dad. I began to understand him. His life <clears throat> excuse me, his life, his choices, made sense because I was just like him. It takes one to know one. It was only by accepting how I was like him that I could be free from him. The more I resisted him as a fallen sinner, the more I resisted the truth about myself. The more I tried to set myself apart from him, the further I was distancing myself from the truth of God's word and the power of the gospel." If there is a fraction of unforgiveness in your heart for what someone did to you, it is impossible to be entirely free from what they did to you. It no longer mattered who sinned the most. The real issue was whether I would humble my heart before Almighty God and plead for His forgiveness for my crimes against Him. It is possible that my dad did more sinning than I did. I don't know. Only God knows. Of course, I'm not through producing evil yet. I'm still in full production. I'm still sinning. Maybe after I'm dead, we can tally up our sins, categorize them, and see who was the more guilty one. I speak I speak as a fool. And before we go there, here's the gospel truth. My dad was just like me. He was a sinner in need of a great God. He was hopeless, spiritually bankrupt, desperate, and entangled by sin. And so was I. That truth released me from my anger. The only remaining sadness for me is I cannot tell my dad about the redemptive and transformative power of the gospel. Because I had more hating to do, there was no room in my heart for the restorative power of Jesus. My appeal to you is that if you have anger in your heart towards someone, will you be humble enough? Will you be honest enough to own your sin and seek to do what is correct regarding that relationship? I cannot tell you what correct is. I do not know. But the Spirit of God will tell you what correct is according to His transcendent authority, which is God's Word. If you can make peace with an adversary today, please do it. Whatever depends upon you, be at peace with all people. Please don't wait until it is impossible. Let the power of the gospel rule your attitude and rule your actions. The gospel released me from the hatred I had for my father. It was the gospel that motivated me to stop hating him. The title of this podcast is The Reason I Stopped Hating My Dad Was Life Changing. You can read everything that I just shared with you word for word by going to the article on our website with that title. Inside the article, you'll find the podcast, you'll find a video that I am building right now. You'll also find several links that will serve you well as you think through this uh, this idea of a self-righteous victim mindset and holding on to anger too too hard too long. And one of the problems with that is that when we are legitimately victimized, we can take that moral high ground that, that that sanitizes. In our own minds, it can sanitize anything that we say and do, and I was doing exactly that. Let me ramp up by asking you just a few questions. This is the call to action that is inside this article. The first question is, are you angry with someone? Do you have any sinful anger toward any other person? Name it, claim it, name that person. Is there someone that you're sinfully angry with? When I asked that question, who was that person that went through through your mind, more than likely that is the individual. Number two, will you ask the Lord to help you let it go? Maybe you would want to read through this article again. Maybe that would benefit you. Number three, will you talk to a friend about this? That could be a, a possible way to go. There is something that is accountable Uh, There is something transformative when you begin to let others know about what God is doing in your life. And so if you have a trusted, competent friend who is compassionate and courageous, compassionate, they will not be unkind to you, courageous, they will not rubber stamp you, competent, they can speak God's word clearly to you. If you have that person, perhaps sharing these things with them would be helpful. Number four, whatever they have done to you does matter. What happened to you does matter. And I don't want you to hear me minimizing that at all. But you do not have to be controlled by what they have done to you. Hanging on to past hurts will enslave you to bitterness. Anger turned inward turns into bitterness. That's what bitterness is. It is anger that turns inward. Anger that goes outward has another effect, effect on other people. Anger turned inward has an effect too, and that one of those effects will be bitterness. Another effect will be unforgiveness. And so minimally, Minimally, you can create an attitude of forgiveness in your heart, and it may never, ever, ever free them from what they have done to you because they have not transacted forgiveness by owning what they have done and asking for forgiveness. That's transactional forgiveness. They may not have ever done that. But at least attitudinally, you can have the heart, the spirit of, of Joseph that he had toward his brothers long before he ever met them, as you can you can hear the tone in the text in Genesis chapter 50, that he was free from what they did, even though they were not. That is an idea of attitudinal forgiveness. And so you want to put yourself in that position so that you're not captured by what other people have done in a long-term way, because it will have a long-term, long-term detrimental effect on your soul. And then number five, what has the Lord pointed out to you as you listen to this podcast? And if there is something that he has pointed out, then the follow-up is, what is your practical, specific, and detailed plan to respond to him? Again, the title of the a podcast. The article is, The Reason I Stopped Hating My Dad Was Life Changing. If you do benefit from these resources and you're able, guilt-free, be guilt-free. But if you are able and you can support us financially, would you go to our website and become a supporting member? Thank you for listening